This program is a member of the DVR Podcasting Network, found at dvrpodcast.com. Spoiler alert, this podcast will include knowledge from the most recent episode of Game of Thrones. Catch up if you haven't yet, and listen after you have. You've been warned. Michael. Give us the night that ended, singer, he bellowed. Matt Murdock. He's drunk said Theon. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Back in 2018, it is Podcast Winterfell. We don't know if George R. R. Martin's going to have anything coming out in 2018 or not in regards to the Song of Ice and Fire. We definitely know that HBO is not going to have anything out in terms of Game of Thrones. But that isn't going to stop Podcast Winterfell from continuing to give you content all throughout the new Game of Thrones-less year. You know, the long night is upon us, folks. We are definitely in a big hiatus. I'm Matt Murdock. You know me. I started this thing, and now I don't play along with the rest of the boys very much anymore. But you do know my co-host, Mike Hull, at Fifth Column Film on Twitter. He is into the he does the deep dives on Wednesdays after a new show comes out. He also does a lot of things for the DVR podcast network, like the Deuce podcast. Uh, I'm sure he'll tell you uh, a lot about that uh, in a, just a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, you can find all the back episodes of this podcast at podcastwinterfell.com or... You can find links to podcastwinterfell.com at the DVR Podcast Network's website, which is dvrpodcast.com, which will also supply you links to the Patreon page. And folks, DVR Podcast Network is putting out a whole lot of material for you to digest uh, as the year has progressed uh, since uh, Axel uh, founded this thing back in the summer. And it's growing like mad, but they need your help. To, to continue to support it so that they can continue to grow patreon.com slash dvr anything you can give on a monthly basis is very helpful as i said before i've got mike hall with me and i haven't even oh. allowed him to talk matt mike matt 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 have you ever seen that video on youtube of the guy who like raised two little lion cubs and then like let them out into the the jungle and then 20 years later he came back and the lions remembered him and they're just like full tongue licking his face there's just so much joy have you ever seen that video or am i just like talking about am i just talking out out of, out of my own head right now that's how i feel i'm a lion right now <laughs> licking the face of the man that raised me who i haven't oh seen in so long <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Now I did see one with an alligator family like that. There too, you go. With the guy here. But then, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I I like to think of you more like a lion than an alligator. There you go. The warm be, so. fuzzies of listening to the Matt Murdock podcast Winterfell intro opener. Oh my god, that's so good. Oh. <laughs> As I just kind of blindly stumble through it from one syllable to the next. Yeah, but yes, you're good at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Matt, man, I got it. Uh, Go ahead. Oh no, it's just it's great. I'm really excited to uh, be on here doing this with you today. You have sent me. Matt, I'm gonna let you describe it, but just Matt sent me. Uh, it's not exactly a manifesto, 
but it's like you know it's something to keep us busy through the long night definitely like there's a lot here there's some deep stuff here some book stuff some it's a lot it's classic it's classic murdick i love it so i'm super excited for today right on well thank you so much for joining me mike i really appreciate it i do have one important question because it's been a while since we talked um my really important question to you is does Hodor look like the guy at Home Depot who cuts your keys? <laughs> if I could find, you know, I just, all right, I just moved. And all the way across country and service on the West Coast is not what it is in New York. If I could find a Hodor to cut my fucking keys at Home Depot, I would be happy. So I'm going to go yes, but it's more of a hopeful response than anything else. Everything is understaffed out here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> cut your own keys, damn it. I would if I could. He could stand there and yell Hodor. I would hold the door while he cut the keys. It's a nightmare out here. <laughs> Well, the big thing that we're here to talk about today is we're kind of, I've, I've come up with, out of all of this thinking that after John is, we now know that he was actually a, a true-born heir to Rhaegar Targaryen and, and Lyanna, I guess, Targaryen, since she got married. Um, it, it's interesting to me the kind of ramifications that everything that started John has caused throughout the whole story. Uh, so we want to look at that, you know, and, and how do we feel in regards to John? I mean, uh, is he, what's, what happened to create John better for the story or not? And we discuss our feelings next. But the cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. No one does it better than the macho man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are, yeah. Matt Murdock. I will drive nothing but Mercedes or Rolls Royce. I will go nowhere on a commercial airliner. I will ride in nothing but limousines. Remember, when Ric Flair's in town, showtime. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. I mean, this is such a, like, I don't know, like, this is, you know, this is such a big picture, you know, like, we are literally starting from the very beginning. Like, you literally have uh, bullet points in here about the scene where they find the dire wolves. Like, we are starting from jump. So there's a lot to get into here. <clears throat> do you, I mean, do you have like an overarching feeling about any of this or is it really like you have to work that out as we build the details? For me, I, you know, I kind of, I went at this in the reverse and I thought, you know what? I really hate that John's in the story. <laughs> wow. I, I, I worked it, I worked it back uh, to, to how I could make it work that way. That's why I say we discuss our feelings next because I, you know, there, there's a big theme in the show, Mike, that that basically we can't choose who we love. I mean, you see that demonstrated in the television show and in the books with Rhaegar and Lyanna, with Jamie and Cersei, with Robin and Talisa. 
Um, and then you even have John with the grit and now John with Danny. You just can't choose who you fall in love with, no matter how good or bad that is for you. Mm. But the, the thing that really uh, makes me think about where this is and how it relates to the Westerosi world is you think about Catelyn Stark. I don't know that she really loved even Brandon or Ned, you know, when right. she was made to marry them. She did that out of duty. Certainly you know? not in the way that Liza seemed to feel about Littlefinger. Certainly not in the way that Liza seemed to feel about Littlefinger. Definitely. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so when people choose to go outside these, and there, there are consequences to going uh, against what would be duty or honor versus uh, love. When you look at Rhaegar and, and Lyanna, it, that caused a whole war. When you look at Jamie and Cersei, um, just think Joffrey. It's, it's just as good of a consequence to put down as anything. Uh, because Rob chose to be with Talissa, it caused the Red Wedding. You know, um, John and Ygritte, well, him basically not taking her with him or, or, or staying with her one way or the other, uh, ended up in in her demise simply because you know she was so mad at him that she would wanted to kill him after he basically left her high and dry. Right, and you could argue that she may or may not have survived that attack anyway. But there was certainly an added level of like you know string chorus drama around the way that it actually ended up going down. Right. Yeah. Definitely gave Ollie the chance to shoot her because <laughs> she paused rather than just cutting John's head off. Right. You right. Know. Oh, that hurts just to talk about. Oh, my goodness. This is, such, this is such a good roller coaster, Matt. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> but look at all the problems that, all, that yeah. love causes. I yeah. mean, just, just do your duty. Just do your duty like Catelyn and Ned did. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but but uh, that, that's Matt where I... hard on arranged marriages. I Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> my hot take is arranged marriages are good. That's not a 2018 attitude to have, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> uh, good morning, <laughs> podcast winner Phil. Yeah, the, the, the good thing is that Egret, uh, or not Egret, but John and Danny. I mean, this is actually more accepted. Than the, this is the most accepted case of 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 love tragedy that you could have. It's it's just weird. Mm-hmm. An aunt and and uh, a nephew. I mean, it certainly creeps me out, and I'm sure that it will creep them out once they both find out. But, uh, you know, it, it, there's just all kinds of bittersweetness and tragedy and well, going against honor. And, <laughs> yes. And there, well, also the thing, the other thing is John and Danny's relationship may actually end up having a beneficial outcome, which is also kind of uncommon considering the list that you just gave. Exactly. So there's, there's that, there's something to wish for, I suppose. And who's to say, you know, I mean, we're obviously, as, as just as Queen Cersei does, we're obviously discounting the small folks. I'm sure there's lots of small folk that fall in love and have great lives. And, you know, that doesn't really <laughs> matter. No, no dowry required. <laughs> but uh, what do you think about that? I mean, is, is this kind of an overall meta thing that, that you know, George is, is saying that, you know, even, even part of the Night's Watch uh, vows are, you know, you have to forsake family, you have to mm. forsake love, you have to forsake everything in order to do duty. And I put uh, the question in our notes here in, in place of honor, but I want to include duty as well. What do you think George is trying to say 
in terms of of what these kinds of concepts actually mean, or do they mean anything? Well, okay, this is what I. <laughs> And I just want to make this clear from the beginning. One of the things that I have enjoyed the most about talking to you about this series, book and TV, the entire time we've been talking about it, and every time I've listened to you talk about it, with the exception of the cleft notes, which is a technical you know, practice that you do that I really enjoy. But this – you are never just talking about books. You are talking about life always. And those are my favorite critics, right? My favorite – as when people react to things, they are talking about their own philosophy of existence. And this I find fascinating because I think that you and I have slightly different um, interpretations of life. And I think that you and I have slightly different interpretations of how society functions and of the goal of society and how people interact in it. And I think that you and I have very similar goals. You know what I mean? I think that, that we both desire similar outcomes. Um, and I think that we both in a lot of ways think about how we participate in these things very similarly. But I do think that, that when you are talking about honor and when you are talking about duty, to me, that is a, a, a thing that you also think about in your walking around daily existence, not just in the Game of Thrones world. And I find that fascinating because I don't think really that many people think about these things in terms of the way they affect their own personal daily life. Are but, you talking? Are you calling me old fashioned? Is that what you're doing? I kind of, and I all right, all respect right. it. <laughs> you know, like I do think that that is is a little bit of an old fashioned thing, and I think that we could use a little more of it. Frankly, <laughs> maybe that's just a little bit of self aggrandizement because I think of myself in a similar way. But I do, you know. Anyway, so I think that George is very agnostic about honor. I think hmm. he is much more agnostic about honor than you are. And about duty than you are. And I, and I say that because of all of the negative consequences that happen so often about it. And I actually think that that is in many ways, other than just the timeline of how long it takes him to write these things, I think that that is your primary like frustration with this series is that you would like to see someone have honor work out for them. <laughs> and I think that he is much more kind of and in a heightened dramatic way but is much more kind of realistic what i mm -hmm. consider realistic about the way life actually works which is that when you see the scene of ned and fighting uh the sword of the morning right and then his homeboy has to come save him okay we've never heard that story before and it is my personal opinion that any stories that you've ever heard from real life that had a, that kind of like tinge of heroism are is most likely where that's coming from is in the telling afterwards. And that the reality of it is that we are scared and that we are trying not to piss ourselves in these moments that end up being described as heroic later. Yeah, I can see that. <clears throat> and, and to me, I was really pleased with that scene because I felt like it was George, like, I can't make this any, like, more clear for you that, you know, honor and duty is at best a goal. It's never a reality, you know. And and what he has actually gone a lot harder on is the way that uh, selfish motivations, 
you know, can affect other people. Like he's done a lot more with that, but that's also like kind of a, an easier thing to set up and, and resolve, you know? So, so, so if I can just go for the trope here, basically what you're saying is George believes that nice guys finish last. <laughs> I mean, all evidence suggests to me <laughs> that yes, that is what he believes. <laughs> that's what happens when you grow up in Bayonne, New Jersey. <laughs> and I think that's what happens when you grow up in Bayonne, New Jersey, and you're a nice guy. That's the other thing, is that I think that George ultimately, you know, is not um, a, a power hung. I don't know. He just doesn't seem particularly manipulative to me, you know, from what I can tell. And and so I think that without a certain amount of manipulation of your own universe and your own narrative, not just to everyone else, but to yourself, like if we are all blindly honest with ourselves about ourselves all the time, you know, I don't know like how you even do the dishes, you know what I mean? Like it, you, you kind of end up in this place of, of <clears throat> constant struggle and effort um, that can make other parts of life more or less impossible. You know, so we have to kind of tell ourselves to a certain extent, at very least, we have to say, I tried the hardest I could, because mm -hmm. that allows us to kind of, of move forward, you know, and so I think that when that's, when you're a nice guy in Bayonne, it's hard to believe that nice guys come out on top. Right. <laughs> Good point. Good point. You know. And what, so what do you think? I mean, is that like, do you think that I've kind of analyzed why this is interesting to you correctly or am i just making all this shit up and it's totally narcissistic <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm gonna move over to the couch right now <laughs> and uh you know do the rest of the podcast from there because uh dr hall is in the house and i've got issues i need to talk about no, i i think that's that's good but but in that case when you look at say like a character like ned who we hold is one of the most honorable people he lived his whole life. He lived his whole life telling a lie. Right. Mm -hmm. He also uh, the thing he he chose to lie uh, in order to save his daughters. You know, he basically okay. said, yes, I tried to, you know, Joffrey is the real king. And and I tried to overthrow him. He that was an out and out lie. And still that got him killed. So to me, there, there's this kind of dichotomy of it doesn't matter what you do. Bad people oh. are going to do bad things. That's a good point. That's super depressing, but that's a really hard to refute. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. All right, let's 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 work our way back up to that because you you talked about the idea of the real beginning of the story. Right? right? So you talk about that cuz you're going to explain that better than me, but that was a great point you made. Well, I, I up until that scene in the last episode of season seven, I really, or maybe even when Sam was, you know, uh, getting that knowledge from Gilly earlier, but I, I don't really think I, it really impacted me until we got to the, the last episode of season seven. I, I'd always thought of Littlefinger telling lies and to poison John Aaron as kind of the launching of the story, because everything involving the characters that we know pretty much is involved, uh, you know, everything kind of spirals out from there. But I I'm wondering, after seeing this scene where Rhaegar and Lyanna actually get married, um, you have to almost assume that the love between the two of them and the subsequent birth of Jon is actually the launching of the story because none of these characters are in place in King's Landing unless Rhaegar, uh, pardon me, Robert's Rebellion happens. Dude, this is... 
This is classic Murdoch. This is so good. <laughs> this is so good. No, I think you're totally right. And you know, when we get that, you know, when we get confirmation of that moment, you know, when when we in the scene um with Littlefinger and Lies in the Veil, when we get confirmation absolute stated from the mouth of a character that that was what happened. He told her to poison you know, all that kind of stuff. We were all very much like, yes, like that's it, you know, right? And and what you're doing here is not there's not new information that you're bringing to the table. It's just a, you know, a recasting. It's just looking at it from a different position. But let's talk. I mean, I want to I'm interested to hear you talk about the consequences of Robert's Rebellion, because I think you're 100 percent on here. And and. And you, you've got in the notes here, if that is the case, I'm just going to steal this from you. I hope that's okay. Go, go ahead. If that is the case, th- does that make even more of a point that since the story essentially begins with John, it should also end with him? Oh, my God. That's so good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> the beginning of the story is John because the wedding of Rhaegar and Lyanna was secret. But John is the literal embodiment of their love right and right. so he is the the thing that is the catalyst that's going to make this like actually matter right so right. anyway let's I, I this is really smart dude this is really good i really like it and I, I like the way you talk about the consequences of their love which is first and foremost the rebellion well, let me just hold on to that point that you just made for for just a second it's like do you honestly feel like the story should end with John? I mean, is A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones, is this strictly John's story? Are we going to get a, 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 you know, a Jack closing his eye in the very last scene? Or? <laughs> uh, to me, yes. I think he is the only, really, the only thing that really matters um, in the end. I think that this is not going to be about Danny in the end. It's going to be about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that actually makes a point that you said earlier that I have not given enough attention to, which is, what did you say? Like, you're mad that John is in the story. <laughs> how did you put it? I didn't say it. How you said it. How did you say it? <laughs> oh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm mad that I'm mad that John's here. I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> That's an amazing, we, 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 we could have, <laughs> we could have, we could have had a story about knights and honor and all these <laughs> old fashioned things that I love. But no, we've got a real world. What the hell is this? Uh, wow, that is an incredible interpretation. And so I also kind of think that John is the main point because of just the way that, you know, just interviews with George and, and the way that he talks about the characters, stuff like that. And I do think, I mean, you've seen the meme, right? With the picture of, of uh, Kit Harrington and the picture of George in like 1977, like trying as hard as he can to look like Kit Harrington, <laughs> right? Like, and I know that that's just, you know, we shouldn't like memes aren't science, you know, but there is, I do think that it's, it's, reasonably arguable that you know john is kind of what george thinks of as the embodiment of his best self Mm. you know what i mean and so and and i think that we can also very easily make the case that mr martin relates easier to boys than girls and that ultimately 
you know, that would be where the foundation of the thing would rest for him. So I think it's kind of held up by um, sociological, political, and story things for myself. It also might just be the most obvious interpretation, in which case it all goes away. Um, <laughs> but what is this story without John, especially now that I think we can agree that the whole Liza Air, like that's way late in the story john's already a teenager by then you know right, yeah yeah so what well, does it look I, like without him well that that's the thing and that's why i want to explore what kind of world consequences that john has had uh to this world because uh or all you know the fact that if he wasn't here uh, let's look at some of the alternatives that might have happened and and man this is rabbit hole stuff folks so, you know, I, I just want—I want to make that very clear. This is this is very rabbit hole because none of you know. This is like taking a bunch of seeds, throwing them up in the air, and waiting till next spring to see which ones actually flower. You know, it, 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 there's there's no possible way to know that any of this would have happened. But I love rabbit holes. I always have loved rabbit holes. They're much easier than trying to predict the future. Predicting the past, a, 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 a alternative past, is always much more easy to do. Uh, so, first thing that happens is. If Rhaegar, you know, is at the, the tourney of Hall, and he sees Lyanna, he goes, eh, you know, eh, I like Aaliyah. Then first thing that happens is Robert's Rebellion never happens. And that's, I mean, that like that, you know, that's taking out the bottom brick like that changes everything. I mean, the whole the whole the whole sept collapses on top of just one little wildfire spark there. You didn't need everything that Cersei did. There. Exactly. I mean, we've blown the whole church of a world of ice and fire up with just that one thought. And uh, just based on that, if you think about it, um, and this is just in regards to the politics of Dorne, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Aaliyah and her children never die. That's a possibility. I mean, unless Tywin Lannister decided he wanted to, you know, come back and, and try and 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 take care of Ares himself for some other reason. There doesn't seem to be any reason that Aaliyah, uh, who was Rhaegar's first wife, uh, would die or her children would ever die. He Plus, seems like the kind of, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would have solved like even if he wanted a different wife that would have had to just murder everybody. You know what I mean? He seems like, right. he, I don't know, he would have sent her to the wall or something. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, and again, this is pure conjecture and very rabbit holy, but I'm pretty sure that Rhaegar didn't want to abandon his wife and children and Aaliyah and her children, but because uh, he left her at King's Landing where I'm sure that he thought she felt safe. Although right. you would think that he would have taken her to Dorne along with Lyanna, just taken Elia back to Sunspear or whatever, and, and you know. But nonetheless, I mean, how how are you going to explain that? It's like, well, we got an annulment, <laughs> we got remarried, but hey, I really care about you and the children. I want you to be safe. Go live in Sunspear, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, but because it's all because Elia dies that that Dorne, the whole Dorne storyline happens. Right. You have Oberyn who get is looking for revenge for Elia. That causes all of the sands, and, and this is strictly from the t television show speaking, but this causes all of the sands to start to go out on, on revenge terrors as well. Um, and while Doran, the, the prince of Dorne, um, because he's trying to be a little more restrained, he ends up dying at the hands of the sands, and you have all of the sands dying at the hands of basically either Euron Greyjoy or Cersei, uh, who would have never been there 
<laughs> if there had not been a Roberts right. Rebellion, you know, I mean, everything in Dorne probably Dorne probably just stays politically uh, out of the loop the same way that it has for basically hundreds of years. Right. I mean, it doesn't really get involved in any of the politics of anything. Um, it just kind of sits down there where nobody really wants to go and try and rein them in. Well, and, you know, it's entirely possible that that they would have people in Dorne or whatever would have been offended by whatever, you know, however, I don't know, who knows, Rhaegar might have found some, who knows, you know, their their thing may may not have lived happily ever after. But even if they don't, the idea that they are killed in such a, you know, that their end is so brutal and so absurd, um, the kind of thing that would lead a country to go to war, it's very unlikely. So even if it doesn't have a great ending, it still boils. It's still a much lower boil than it ended up. So I think that idea is basically solid that Dorne stays where it is, especially because Dorne remains the leader. Exactly. And and we don't, you know, I mean, who's in charge of Dorne now? Everybody's dead or, or, or imprisoned by Cersei. I don't know how long... Um, El, see, not Aaliyah, but which, which one is the wife of Oberyn? The one um, that it's yeah, Cersei's pet, Alara. Alara, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, she may be the only one left alive. But otherwise, that whole leader. I mean, Dorne has to have been thrown into its own kind of political chaos now, just because Rhaegar and Lyanna couldn't say no. Couldn't Stank use a condom. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so there's one rabbit hole, and that's the very small one, actually, that I've made into something very big. So somebody's, Mike, you're going to have to rein me in as I go on these. <laughs> but uh, if Robert's Rebellion doesn't happen, then Robert's not sitting on the throne spending all of the money on whores and uh, wine. Littlefinger's probably not in any position to be borrowing money from the Iron Bank. So the throne is the throne's treasury... There's nothing really to say that the Treasury was in great state before the war, uh, but I would imagine, based on the accounts and like the history in Lord Blu-rays, they talk about when Tywin was Ares' hand of the king, that uh, everything was a, it was a great time of peace and prosperity. Now, is that the Lannisters just talking up Tywin, or was that the case? Um, so the whole the whole question of the, the Treasury becomes... Uh, you know, is there, is there more stuff there now? And what could they do with that money? Now, here's where I really go rabbit hole. What could they do with that money? <laughs> well, man, let's send some money up to the Night's Watch. Let's send some guys up to the Night's Watch. Let's make it worthwhile for some of these guys to go. Let's pay good dowries to some of these good houses so that we have good soldiers, uh, up there instead of, uh, you know, just a, a third Stark. Wow. That is a deep hole. That I mean, I, I, I can't. I can't even see you all the way up there anymore. There's no sunlight <laughs> up there. I'm so dark, I'm so far down this rabbit hole that I, yeah. But well, anyway, go ahead. Now, the you know the first time that I that I was reading this this idea and really trying to consume all of this, it seemed to me like it really seemed pretty dicey because it seems like they all are just kind of on the edge of you know bankruptcy all the time. But you've just made a very good point which is that when when Tywin was in charge of the finances when he was hand of the king and he was in charge that he would have kept everything. So basically what you're saying is that the only reason that the Lannisters were in hock to the Iron Bank was because of Robert. And even if the gold would have run out the gold didn't run out until 
basically the end of, <clears throat> excuse me, Robert's reign, right? Like the golden castle rock. It had been going well, down, but yeah, I, I, it, it's clear that Littlefinger had been borrowing um, from the Iron Bank for quite a while to finance whatever Robert was doing. But uh, probably in the last, or let's let's just say, me uh, and th- again, speculation. But let's say maybe in the first five years of Robert's reign. They were still pretty much working on the Iron Throne's actual treasury rather than borrowing against it. Right, right. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. I think, yeah, all right. That's a good point. So, but, okay, but that kind of relies on Tywin remaining in place, right? Which kind of relies on Eris remaining in place. Hmm. So am I moving too quickly or because I think that the next point is actually directly related to that? No, I, I, I think that that's a good way to look at it, because if the rebellion doesn't happen, I mean, let, let's say even Jamie Lannister is still made a Kingsguard. Okay. And, and, and there's still a division between Tywin and Ares um, that went down, uh, you know, because Ares was jealous or whatever, whatever reasons came came out that that Ares kicked Tywin off of the small council uh, and then took his son as as a uh, as a Kingsguard. I don't think that, you know, unless it's daddy outside the door that Jamie's actually going to, you know, or that Ares if maybe if Ares gets to a point where he just wants to blow everybody up just for the fun of it, I mean, he might do the <laughs> same thing. But otherwise, you have to assume that King Ares stays in power for at least a little while, which I don't think would necessarily be a good thing. Um, but in the histories and lores of season six, there's a special called The Great Tourney of Harrenhal. Um, and it's a, a piece where we have Mira narrating more or less about her father, but she does drop in a, a whole lot of other things into it that are great little nuggets of information. She mentions that there were rumors, and again, these are just rumors, so more rabbit hole stuff, but that Rhaegar was using the tourney to speak to other lords about Ares's madness and possibly removing the Mad King from power. Again, they were just rumors, so it, it, again, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I've almost reached the center of the earth in some of these black <laughs> rabbit holes, but... Um, is it possible that if Rhaegar, uh, you know, if this Robert's Rebellion hadn't happened, uh, could Rhaegar have successfully uh, removed Ares? Or even if not, could he have just waited until Ares died? Because you're that crazy. I mean, eventually you're going to... He was constantly stabbing himself on the Iron Throne, according to everybody. So it's like, you know, eventually he's going to bleed out, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, you know... If Rhaegar becomes king, does, and this is a huge rabbit hole uh, further down. Oh, that's hot. That's molten lava. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if Rhaegar becomes king, my God, we might have a whole different happy, uh, full of song, obviously, kind of kingdom. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. It's it's interesting too that your rabbit holes always end in a pot of gold in like a rainbow and everybody's happy and not coincidentally there's more music. I think this is <laughs> like you know again we're learning things about what you think of as a perfect world. Uh, I the idea I just how many stable transitions of power can we point to in the histories that we're aware of? You know it just mm. because. What 
the, like we were saying before about the you know the whole situation with the money the money staying right depends as far as we can tell on taiwan staying in control of it and there's also i think an interesting point to be made that is you know is there any way that Rhaegar could have managed even a not stable, but any kind of a transition of power from Ares to himself without having Tywin on his side, right? Mm. You would think that if you're Rhaegar and you're considering trying to make that move and everybody knows your dad is a fucking lunatic, you know, and they, they would be better off if you were there anyway, because at least you're still sane, you know, uh, you would, you, you're going to want to get people on your side. And obviously the number one, the biggest chess piece, the queen, is Taiwan, right? Yeah. So in that case, you would think that Ares would most likely see, if not Rhaegar, it definitely Tywin coming, right? Yeah. I mean, that's part of why he gets Tywin out of there in the first place, you know? And so to me, I think that it, the scenario, as good as it sounds, how who stays loyal to Ares? You know, I guess is the real question. Is there, you know, someone else, even if it's just Walter Frey or somebody, is there somebody else <laughs> who sees Ares as a potential vehicle to their own power? In which mm. case, we have a civil war anyway. You know, now maybe it's shorter, maybe it's not nearly as bloody, maybe it's, you know, uh, not as painful. If you've got Rhaegar and Tywin going against even Robert, you know, but Tywin sat it out, right? I mean, that was yeah, right. the whole thing was Tywin was just kind of waiting to see who was going to win. So when Tywin throws his weight behind somebody, you know, if it's Rhaegar, then p perhaps you have a faster, less brutal war. But I think you have a war nonetheless. And if he's fighting against Ares, you know, who knows what that could look like. Uh, that's a, that's an excellent point. But do you feel like Rhaegar still gets killed on a battlefield? No, I think that was I I think that's a coin toss at best. Yeah, you know I I I think that that is in a lot of ways one of those things of of kind of George like you know the 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 tsunami that wipes out the fleet the thing that like nobody could have planned on you know right, but right. like here we are anyway we got to deal with it like the you know i mean the kennedy assassination the lincoln assassination like those things were like you know people thought about them but they're you know that's one of those like everybody's got to plan till they get punched in the face you know like now what are you going to do you know this was <laughs> yeah. not how anybody thought it was going to go you know right right um and and so no i don't think that i i think that even in even given the same scenario if Rhaegar's just got his feet in a different position we might have a totally different story <laughs> yeah yeah and that's where the rabbit holes come in but you mentioned uh you know the importance of tywin um but in response to that i mean if Ares remains on the throne let's say Rhaegar can't remove him i mean and and Tywin says, well, he's going to die eventually. We'll see how things turn out after that. Um, then do do they ever truly get into the kinds of positions of power in terms of the Iron Throne that they end up in? I mean, because it seems that Cersei's not marrying, according to this prophecy uh, that we saw at the beginning, was at the beginning of season five, 
when she was talking to my, Maggie the Frog, um, you know, she basically said you will marry the, the, the king, but not the prince, you know, and you'll have these children and the children will die. So that seems to have been set into stone by Maggie the Frog. But nonetheless, if Rhaegar and Lyanna don't happen, if there is no King Robert for her to marry, because there is no rebellion, and mm. she's not to marry the prince, I mean, that's the that's the whole inline of, of some of the things that, that caused Catelyn to go crazy. Cersei and Jamie wouldn't have been at Winterfell at all if it hadn't been for Rhaegar and Lyanna falling in love. Right. R- rabbit holes. Right. My God, man. Yeah. But it's hard to deny, like, as you're walking your way through it, like, all this stuff is built on the foundation of John. Oh, man. You're going to talk me out of this guy before we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> you're good at that, dude. You're good at convincing me to feel differently about this shit. It's, I like that about you. I, I'm excellent at convincing anybody to the wrong line of thought. <laughs> I've been doing that for years. Uh, <laughs> Well, okay, so uh, Rhaegar stay. Okay, let's let's say let's assume that Rhaegar is able to somehow manage, even if it's violent. But Rhaegar manages to take over, and then so that leaves Tywin as hand of the king at best, mm-hmm. right? Jamie, I guess, is still a king's guard. Like. Tyrells are doing whatever they're doing because they seem to only be important in relevance to the Lannisters. Mm. So they would remain basically a, a kind of like balancing rival, but not really very important to the story. Well, I don't know, man. Look at it this way. You know, Marjorie didn't have any problem uh, hopping on top of Tommen, right? Right. So uh, maybe one of Elia's kids gets a Marjorie Terrell. Right, right, right. Okay, that's good. But that still basically kind of leaves the Lannisters, you know, somewhat shunted just because the 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 line of succession remains Targaryen. Yes. Right? Targaryen and in the and in Aaliyah's line, exactly. And so that would actually leave the Dornish much closer to the line of succession, like directly. Related mm-hmm. to the line of succession, and the Lannisters would remain uh, shopkeepers, I guess we would call them. Yeah, more or less. What What are they going to do now that all their minds are depleted? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. They need to study Saudi Arabia and see how to go into technical things when your <laughs> when your resources run out. You know. Okay, so so that's the world in the south. So in the north. Ned is alive, but so is his brother, and so is his dad, right? Exactly. Rickard is still there. Brandon is still alive. Remember that Catelyn was first going to marry Brandon, so Ned Stark is not married to Catelyn. Um, In uh, season one, when you think back uh, to Sansa and Septa Mordain in the Iron Throne, of course, we had Brandon... And uh, and Rickard both killed by the Mad King because they were coming in protest because Rhaegar had uh, kidnapped Lyanna, which we now know is probably not true, unless he 
did a lot of convincing on horseback to get her to marry him. So that's actually think- a really inter- we that's actually a really interesting point about Rhaegar being able to take the throne and something that we hadn't talked about, which is that if he has Tywin on his side and then he has Lyanna go up and talk to her dad and introduce him to her new grandkid, then he could potentially have the Starks on his side too. Oh my God, Matt! You write. You need. To, you're going to write a whole new, like, seven book series and finish it before he finishes this one. <laughs> I still have. I still have hopes for Winds of Winter in 2018. <laughs> okay, it's, it's okay. easy. To, it's easy to say that in January. <laughs> Talk to me again in September. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, man. I mean, the, the whole North thing is, is its own kind of political conundrum because now you have. Uh, let's let's assume that nothing happens to Brandon. He becomes the heir apparent to Winterfell. Where does Ned go? Right. You know, n- not only that, but just think about Rickard. Uh, there's nothing to say Rickard obviously felt strong enough to go down and face the king himself. So he probably wasn't in poor health or anything. How long does Rickard live before Brandon even gets Winterfell? Right. Um, Rickard is described as a burly old dude. I mean, you know, one of those like strong as an ox type of guys, right? Right, right, I mean, right. Very much, uh, very much Catelyn's uncle, Blackfish. Yeah, you know, that yes. kind, of, that kind of guy. Yes, yes. So yeah, so I mean, yeah, does does big rabbit hole? But is Rickard even still around when the when the first word comes about the White Walkers twenty years later? Maybe not. Probably not. But that means that Brandon's there. Probably. Where's Ned? Is he on the wall? Wow. Is, is he with, with, are him and, I mean, I, I'm assuming that probably Benjamin's like, he's like, oh God, I'm third in line. Okay, I'm going to the wall, no matter what. You know, I'm going to make something in my life. He wanted to do that. Or he what is like the Tyrion of the Starks. <laughs> he goes drinking an horn, you know, something like that. But, but think about the, the, the endless possibilities here. Let's say the tourney of Heron Hall happens, but, you know, everybody goes back home instead of Lyanna leaving with, with Rhaegar. Okay, because that seems to be where everything started to happen. Um, but uh, Ned, according to this great tourney of Heron Hall uh, thing that we talked about earlier, that's in the season six history and lores, Mira, in that she gives an account of Ned wanting to dance with this chick named Ashara Dane and has Brandon ask her uh, for him. Basically. Oh, yeah. So, so they, they, you know, and they do dance together. Now, Folks, I'm just going to throw this little bit of book knowledge in there um, for folks who are just TV, because I'm not sure if the TV has said anything about the Danes except in the history and lores. But the Danes are a family from Dorne. So uh, if Ned and Ashara do end up together, do they move? Does Ned move to Dorne? And they are an old and respected family. Like, you know, this is, you know, it would be considered a, a good match for the second son. Yeah. Except that then Ned has to live in Dorn, which is so ridiculous. I can't right. even say it with a straight face. <laughs> you know, because I mean, he looked pretty pathetic when he was in Dorn, you know, before facing the Kingsguard. So, you know, it's like, what am I doing down here? <laughs> On the other hand, when the White Walkers do come at the end of season seven, well, Ned's still down there in Dorn. Right. <clears throat> right. Oh, there's, all, there's all kinds of possibilities. Again, this is rabbit hole stuff. He could end up marrying, you know, just some other house from the north and becoming the lord of that house or whatever. Um, and just heir apparent to Winterfell in case anything were to happen to Brandon. He, he, like I said, he could end up with Benjen at the wall, um, which, you know, and, and remember that all of this 
going the rabbit hole we're going down about no Robert's rebellion means or or no Brandon's death. I mean, who's to say Ned even has any children of his own at all? Right. No, you know, do do whatever versions of of Brandon and Catelyn's kids become Rob and 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 Bran and Arya and Sansa. You know. Right. So weird, man. Wow. There's a okay. So there's another. There's a there's a, a side rabbit hole to the rabbit hole we're currently on here, which is that if none of this happens. Then Danny remains in the Red Keep, mm. and so, or you know, in the the circles of power, regardless, right? So let's trace out the idea that Danny's whatever is going on with her as the mother of dragons and the unburnt, right? Mm-hmm. That that is that that remains a power of hers, but because her brother her her middle dumbass brother is still alive right and squawking all the time making all kinds of dumb noise so a does she not get the dragon eggs because she never left westeros right and so she never finds out that she is the return of the mother of dragons or does she in some bizarre way end up with the dragon eggs anyway, but she's not important. Viserys is still alive, right? And, and you know, farting up a storm, taking up all the oxygen everywhere they go. And so she remains basically unimportant and just kind of like pampered, but never paid attention to. Mm. But now you're talking about a scenario in which the White Walkers come, Rhaegar is on the Iron Throne, and Danny has now somehow got dragons, and maybe Ned can fly one up from Dorne with her to the north because where better to practice your dragons than Dorne? <laughs> Matt, we got to start. We're writing a whole new book. We're writing a whole new series. This is incredible. Well, no, no, here's here's the thing that I think is even more scary. Let's say that Daenerys gets the eggs, right? Right. It's, Man, I, I'm way down here at the center of the earth. I'm just throwing, <laughs> I'm throwing stuff at the walls of this dirt here and seeing what sticks. But let's say that Daenerys does get the eggs. She does find a way to hatch them. We've heard the saying, the dragon has three heads. Right. Who are your three heads? Rhaegar, Viserys, Viserys. Daenerys. Yeah. So then Viserys becomes the one that gets basically sacrificed to the Night's King, and we're fine with that. We're all good with that. <laughs> and we move on. Wow, man. Yeah, you're right. It's better with it's you're getting me. You're getting me there. Because look, John, what is he doing? He's moping. He is our way to get above the wall, but we could find another way. Oh my god, Matt. Uh see, you pull me into all of this stuff and now you're ruining it for me. This is like the this is the longest sadomasochistic con I've ever experienced. <laughs> Well, as you, as you put in your notes, I mean, all of this is fan fiction, baby. But, but you it's know, great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, I do tend to to uh, gravitate towards the impossible. It's always fun to gravitate towards the impossible when it doesn't really matter whether you're right or not. Well, what's more amazing? It's just amazing to me how you managed to find like the actually the one brick in the entire fucking castle. 
that the whole edifice was apparently resting on this one brick. Like that's just, it's amazing that we've been talking about this for so long and it took this long to find the one brick that changes everything else, you know, <laughs> anyway. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and we kind of explored house Lannister, but why don't, why don't we just dive in a little further? Right. Cause like we said, Tywin, obviously he still maintains his power in the Westerlands probably. Um, but the, the lack of Robert's rebellion does, uh, you have to wonder, uh, what, okay, let's say Jamie does become a Kingsguard still, cause that happened prior to the, the launching of the rebellion. Um, but does Cersei, what happens with Cersei? Does she continue to go visit Jamie? Is that, is that whole, is that whole romance killed by the fact that Cersei's staying home and Tywin's going to make her marry, I don't know, Loras Tyrell? Mm-hmm. Or something like that, right? Um, and uh, again, I already explored the fact that you know, unless Ares decides he wants to blow all of King's Landing up, that was the main reason Jamie killed him. Um, does Jamie never earns the Kingslayer title? Is his is his is the page on his book that Joffrey made fun of him for being so blank? Is it now full of great deeds? <laughs> well, I mean, great deeds require awful times usually right that's true so you're like painting this like relatively stable universe um in which you know there are still bandits and there are still you know yeah occasionally assassination attempts or whatever but who knows uh what crawls out of the woodwork against Ares if there's not some kind of war to occupy everybody right right well and yeah, I mean, I think that that Jamie, um, I don't know, man. I mean, to me, it seems more like he just kind of spends his life trying to win the incest Olympics and like make up excuses to go to wherever Tywin has sent Cersei. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> doesn't sound that, I mean, you know, it doesn't sound great, but, you know. But what about Tywin himself? Because it was all of the politics that he was playing and then ultimately the fact that Tyrion was bringing Shay to court and the whole reason that they were in court, Robert's Rebellion. So, I, I mean, if Tyrion, we have the story that Tyrion told in season one about what they did with the first girl that he thought he married that ended up being a whore. Uh, but uh, does, does Tyrion end up killing Tywin because... There's not that last step that happened in the Red Keep. Or is there a similar red step that happens just in Casterly Rock instead of uh, instead of the Red Keep? Oh, man. There's so much there. Um, you know, I was really pleased to see Tywin with a woman. You know, because you have to think about, like, what he what does he do like does he really just sit there and write like hateful letters all fucking day like does he (laughs) never you know and we really only saw him in that kind of human moment and it was interesting because when they went in you know when he goes to the human moment he goes all in on it not only do we see him with a like a person who uh, a human being who he's not in like in competition with who he's not trying to you know she is still a a pawn in his game you know what i mean she's like it's hard for me to imagine that that like 
they just ended up they just it turned out they really liked the same movies and they just had a lot in common right, right? like right. i mean she he is <laughs> using her to his own you know his own means and and this also of course leaves her feelings about the whole thing out of it you know she seems relatively comfortable when you see the shot you know the like one shot that you see her she seems relatively comfortable but of course she's going to be acting that way regardless of what's going on you know she's not she's regardless of how she's actually feeling on the inside she's going to be presenting this front because it's a matter of survival at that point mm. you know so there's like there's there's so many different things going on there but it it led me to see him as potentially wanting some sort of human contact you know i mean it, he had never married again there's no indication that he had i mean i guess people didn't date <laughs> right like it's not like i mean it would be was there any indication that there was any sort of female presence in his life outside of I don't even know if like you'd call them prostitutes at that point. Like he's, I don't know what the word would be, you know, for servicing the, you know, basically the king. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's like, it's uh, not really a he, client relationship, I guess is my point. He didn't show up to any of the weddings with a date, right? <laughs> right. He didn't show up to Tommen or, or, or I'm not, yeah. Was it Tommen? He didn't show up to Joffrey's wedding with a date, you know, he didn't, he didn't show up anywhere else um right but doesn't but didn't and in the books too because in the books we're seeing it from Tyrion's perspective it seems like there is it's it's not they're not like having sex and kicking her out you know what i mean it seems like they're having a conversation right like am i making too much out of it no no um that's true so i don't don't know know what to think so you know i wonder if there's like any potential if there's any possibility that Tywin, you know, kind of, I, I get, God, I'm trying to get around to Tywin, like settling down and becoming, <laughs> this is all bullshit. <laughs> this is like, yeah, this, this, this is this, totally fucking ridiculous. No, this, this is, this is a little too stable, a little bit too much music, a little too Rhaegar. Tywin is nuts, dude. Right. I mean, I think that like the idea that somehow Tywin stops scheming to try to land his family in that position is just too, is is a is too far. That's a rabbit hole. I just can't even enter. Okay, right? right. I, I, and I I understand that. So let let's say this. Uh, let me let me throw one out there that would be totally uh, terrible. Uh, Rhaegar, you know, Ares has already said nope. Rhaegar ain't marrying Cersei. So what right. does Tywin do? He gets Viserys to marry Cersei. Oh, then he plots god. to kill Rhaegar. Oh my god! Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty. That sounds good. like a Tywin kind of thing, right? Well, okay. So this is one thing that that we've never that I've never really heard anybody talk about. Doesn't mean it hasn't been talked about. But the idea that like Jamie did not fear the consequences of killing Ares, right? Because right. Who is there to bring consequences down on him? I mean, is there any? Is there literally anybody in the kingdom who could actually, in any way, 
make that a problem for Jamie. Tywin, right, would be the only person you can think yeah. of. During during Robert's Rebellion. Now, I can't say that if Viserys got back to Westeros at some point later on, that he wouldn't have seeked Jamie out. Okay, that seems possible, but that doesn't seem that doesn't seem to have been a concern for Jamie in the moment. <laughs> no, not in the moment. Not in the moment. <laughs> right? I'm, well, they were kids. They were well. One wasn't even technically born yet. Daenerys right. wasn't even technically born yet. That's an interesting consequence. But uh, how's Daenerys going to feel about what Jamie did? I mean, at this point, at least in TV, Daenerys seems to have accepted because she's heard it from so many people that her old man was not a you know benevolent ruler (laughs) right was not not a benevolent monarch by the time he was dispatched she she did tell Tyrion that she knows how the mad king earned his name yeah right true so i think she has plenty of examples to kind of forgive him for that so i i think that that indicates to me that tywin didn't have any particular love for the targaryens you know, and so the idea of him basically trying to puppet Viserys uh, is a really good one <clears throat> to try to puppet Viserys and kill Rhaegar. That's like, you know, but see, this is so fucked up, though, because we got to get back for just a minute <laughs> to Matt and and how you view the world and all those kinds of things, because Tywin is such a clean bad guy. You know what I mean? Like you are really like I, I you're really like black hat, white hatting this whole thing in such a fascinating way. Um, well, you're be- trying you're trying to settle him down with more kids. So what am I supposed <laughs> to do? I know you're totally right. You're totally right. It's fucking great. <laughs> this is a warm rabbit hole, dude. I like it. It's fine for me. There's tea here. I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anything else on the on the Lannisters or do you want to move on? Uh, I mean, I just, you know, I like this idea. I, I hadn't really thought about this before, but this idea of, we, you know, when we talk about really successful politicians, both in our current time and all throughout written history, one of the things that a really good politician has to be able to do is to sideline certain rivals without having to fight them. Yeah, you know, because they're too powerful to fight. So you have to figure out a way to give them power, enough power that they don't have an excuse to fight you, but not enough power to actually overrule you or in some cases really accomplish anything. So the idea that Ares, we only know him as this insane person. And it's the same, you know, it's the same way we only know Robert as this like drunken moron that got killed by a pig. So the idea that somehow he was able to kill Rhaegar seems to me absurd because the the way they were all they were described, but we don't know the Robert of Robert's Rebellion, which was apparently a much more like badass and and you know could still handle his his wine intake apparently without losing his balance, right? Which is a skill that reduces as we age, <laughs> you know, like that's, it's much easier when you're 21, you know, metabolism works differently. I, I love that scene when they're at the, uh, when they're at the, the, the tournament for the hand, uh, in season one where Ned and, and Robert are there and, and, uh, 
<laughs> what is it? Ned just kind of looks at his belly, you know, and then Robert just laughs. It's like, yeah, yeah, I ain't what I used to be, you know, basically, you know. <laughs> yep. And so the only the only Ares we know is the Mad King who's burning everybody. But apparently there was an Ares Targaryen who is capable of sidelining Tywin Lannister for 20 years by making mm-hmm. him, you know, the warden of the West and allowing him the, the, the traditional power that he had always had, but somehow keeping him from being able to, you know, take over and, 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 and really rule the kingdom in the way that he did as soon as Ares was gone. Like, let's like, right. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Ares was gone. Rhaegar was gone. And Tywin rode in on a horse and basically took over if in, you know, if not on paper in, in fact, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that like, I, I, there's a lot, there's a lot of, you can really go a, a long way with Tywin and, and it's possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of fantasizing to do there. So Folks, if you're just joining us or if you're waking up from the sleep that my rabbit holes have put you into, <laughs> we are discussing what happens if John is never born and the rebellion never happens. We're still just on the, the consequences of Robert's rebellion never happening. We're moving on to the Night's Watch. Uh, as I said before, it's likely that Benjen still ends up joining the Night's Watch, no matter whether Brandon or Ned are in control of Winterfell. Um, and, it, I mean, it's just as likely that when he goes on his ranging mission looking for whatever he looks for he goes missing and lord commander mormont even if he doesn't have john with him still goes out looking for benjen and encounters the white walkers at the fist of the first men but what even happens from there without john being there without the robert's rebellion uh having produced a thing to where john would well john doesn't exist so he has no reason to want to go to the wall then somebody like that we love that well okay that i love i don't know if mike loves him or not but somebody that i love like (laughs) samwell doesn't have a prayer of even surviving basic training does he no no i love samwell too samwell i to me the samwell and john represent to me like george what he thinks of as his best self and what he thinks of as his actual self and so I really love those characters and I love to see, especially when they interact. And, you know, I, I love the idea just metaphorically as a creator of, you know, the part of me that doesn't want to interact with people and doesn't want to leave the house and doesn't want to show anybody anything that I make sometimes has to be slapped around by the part of me that's like, get, get the fuck out of it. Come on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got shit to do today. Like, you know what I mean? Like put that shit out. Who cares? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like you got to have that. I think that most of us have that kind of, you know, fight with ourselves. Um, and I love the way that it's embodied in the books. And no, I don't think he, I, I mean, <clears throat> At best, he just becomes kind of like a, a almost a Hodor character, only without even that much personality. Mm. You know what I mean? But just kind of somebody who like just like mops the floors. You know, there's yeah. okay. One of the DVR podcasts. I I don't I I don't mean to like. Um, what is this called? Uh, cross promote or whatever? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, one of the DVR podcasts that I never thought would ever happen, and Axel made this happen, is our friend Thaxton. And Thaxton gets, you know, just like talks. It's to try to describe it is completely pointless. It's just like Thaxton talking about 
the world and he's just a very unique individual and so i find it fascinating and it's possible that i find it fascinating only because i've met him and nobody else thinks it's interesting but i like it anyway he has a long-standing character that um that he's been writing for for a long time and this character's job is to run the mop bucket at a big porn store right (laughs) and like and this was kind of you know the lowliest kind of job that Thaxton had ever had and so Thaxton used to actually run the mop bucket I think and would spend a lot of his time like walking around like talking about philosophy while he was running the (laughs) mop bucket at the porn store right and so it's this like fascinating you know kind of dichotomy and view of the world and all it's perfectly Thaxton and that to me is where Sam ends up like you know he reads on his off hours but mostly he's just kind of the crazy guy who just walks around talking about things that nobody else recognizes because nobody reads, you know, if he survives, it's such a sad story. Yeah. I mean, Maester Eamon would be about the only one who would give him a chance. I would think, you know, but this is the question. Part of it to me is like, does, does, is there even enough of Sam left to impress and work with Maester Eamon Mm. without John there? to kind of hold them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't even know if there's enough Sam for Eamon to be able to recognize, right. Right. <clears throat> which is so depressing. Cause I like that character. I do too. I love Sam. Everybody hates Sam except us. Are we the only, <laughs> are, are we the only two people in the world? Uh, that like Sam? I, no, really? there's a third, and it's the only other one that matters, and his name is George Railroad Martin. Right. So I'm going to get more Sam. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's something that you can think about that actually you can kind of compare to what happened uh, in the story, whether Robert's Rebellion happens or not, because John essentially isn't there. Once he goes out and, and merges with the Wildlings or, or gets captured by the Wildlings, um, you have this whole thing happen at the Fist of the First Men, uh, and then you have the mutiny uh, at uh, Craster's Keep on, on the way back to Castle Black. If Let's just assume that Mormont doesn't survive that either, that the history continues to take its same course because John hasn't really affected any of that. But there's nobody like John to challenge Alistair Thorne once everybody gets back. So... Alistair becomes the next commander of the Night's Watch without anybody having any problem with that? And how does that affect anything in terms of the battles with the uh, with the wildlings at the wall? Um, is because Alistair gets hurt. There's no John to help take over. Does Mance end up winning that battle? Um, obviously, if there's no Robert's Rebellion, I don't think that Stannis is really anywhere except at the Red Keep. Or I'm not the Red Keep, uh, but it storms in, mm-hmm. so he's not there to save everyone. Um, I, maybe if Robert isn't crowned, uh, then 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 Stannis is just there. Robert's probably actually the Lord of of Storms in uh, by that point, and and Stannis, I don't know where he is. Maybe he's, he's on, at the Night's Watch. He's on a walkabout in Essos. <laughs> you know, with the Red Woman. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. God, this is so much, man. Yeah, I don't. I think the whole thing about Alistair Thorne is dead on. The other thing is, you know, with the whole dealing with Mance and everybody, there was politics involved. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't seem to me like Alistair was really the kind of guy that was into that kind of thing. You know, so I think that the whole, you, I mean, it's, I think you're making a pretty strong case here. There's no Stannis. Alistair gets hurt and is like not that creative to begin with. You know, yeah. unless there has been this Taiwan inspired uh, surge to the north that you talked about earlier. Because Brandon is still around and is able to make a case, you know, and fight for it and everything. Mm -hmm. I think if if everything else stays the same, with the exception of John, then yeah, Mance is Mance wins. Yeah, and then what? (laughs) Then you have two raiding armies. You have the raiding army of the Wildlings, and you have the raiding army of the White Walkers. Yeah, right. Otherwise known as season six. Otherwise known <laughs> as season six and seven. Um, that's funny because everything I related to, I, I was I was going through this document, I was writing it up, I was having so much fun just going down all of these rabbit holes, and then when I tried to dig myself back up to, to, to try and start a new rabbit hole, it was like, wait a minute. What other ramifications other than Robert's Rebellion or had, that had stemmed out of Robert's Rebellion? Like you said, it's like I pulled the one brick and then right. they're, 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 you know, there's no need to pull any other bricks because they're all scattered all around me <laughs> or, or piled on top of me. So, <laughs> so it's, like, it's like, can you think of any other ramifications other than directly linked to Robert's Rebellion uh, that, that Rhaegar and Lyanna's love not happening would have? Because I really can't. Well, I mean, I think that there's an interesting point that you made about, you know, basically Cersei and Robert doesn't happen. Ned and Catelyn doesn't happen. Um, you know, you have, I mean, like John kind of doesn't happen, you know, or however that's right. John doesn't happen because the that love right. doesn't happen. Like, so I think that that's actually the most interesting kind of really ramification question is that there's a whole generation of people that don't exist mm. you know not or, or are different you mm-hmm. know um not because they were killed but because the matings never happened you know so you never have joffrey you never have you know any of that i mean well i guess you could still have no that's not right because those weren't robert's kids so I guess the only people that you have are Joffrey and yeah, Tommen. Yeah, Joffrey, Marcella, and Tommen. Um, but you don't have you don't have Rob, you don't have Arya, you don't have Brandon, you don't have Sansa, or or at least not as they are, not as Ned and Catelyn's kids. Certainly not. Rickon. Right. There's the other one. <clears throat> and so then you also don't have uh, the Aaron boy. Right, yeah, I guess because not. That is actually John Aaron's kid, right? That's not Littlefinger's kid. There's never any. I I, I have always theorized <laughs> that the reason that that kid is so weak is because it's Littlefinger's kid. I think so too, man. I think so too. I think that's but a great. But, I, but there's no there's, there's no, no proof. There's no way to prove it. You know. It's, no, no canonical evidence. Yes, there, there's no <laughs> evidence in canon. It's, but again, you know, as long as we're down the rabbit hole, let's just say Littlefinger and Liza got it on way before he told her to poison John Eric. Doesn't it kind of make sense? I think it kind of makes sense. I think I it mean, does too. You know, 
Yeah, I've always been with you on that. And, and, so and that... he's closing his eyes and he's picturing Catlin, of course. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I mean, I think the main ramifications are really the sidelining of Tywin. Um, you know, the potentially ongoing sidelining of Tywin. And also, uh, I think that Joffrey lives, but is not a better person. And so actually becomes the catalyst for the downfall of the Lannisters, even in the West, mm. actually, because he doesn't have the power of the kingdom. He's basically like remains a, a feudal lord who are much easier to kill than a king. So actually, I think that without, yeah, now it's getting even better. So not only do we not have John, but the whole Lannister clan dies on the shoulders of Joff. Nice. 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 Yeah. I hope somebody's taking notes because we're going to write this book series. We have, we have, a, <laughs> we have an audio record of this uh, brainstorming, so we're all good. Uh, <laughs> all right. So that brings us, and this is just section one, folks. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Section two, technically. But uh, overall... Give me your best answer now. Now now that I've drug you down every single now that I've dropped you, you know, a total of maybe five, six thousand feet at a time in rabbit holes <laughs> and brought you back out. We're back out in the sunlight now. Do you now see my point that the love of Rhaegar and Lyanna was, you know, worse for the world? Or do you think it better? Oh, man, this is so good. Uh I think that given the the facts that we have on hand you make a very good point however i think it's important to say that things could have gone terribly wrong in so many ways that we can't even imagine yeah. that it's hard for me to think that we end up without a civil war because of one form or another because it seems like the civil war cycles you know the 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 rulership cycles there because yes the targaryens had been in power for 300 years but let's not forget the blackfire rebellion you know let's not forget like basically all the times when we had civil wars even just within the targaryen families so it seems to me like the i like the other families were kind of itching for an opportunity to lead the fight. So it, it seems to me like we were kind of in a cycle and we are more talking about the flavor of the dish as opposed to the main ingredients. And I think that the flavor may have been different, but the main ingredients probably would have been the same. Hmm. I, I can see that. And I, I look, Here's the only reason that I would refute my own statement that the, the world is better off without Rhaegar and Lyanna than with. We need John. John's the only one that can save us from the White Walkers, right? Oh. <laughs> That's why we need John. That's the only reason we need John. It's the only right. time we'll ever need John is, is to save us from the White Walkers. Uh, and naturally, uh, Danny will help. But uh, we really need John for that. So we are basically trading all of the people who've died as from the beginning of John's life as as a result of his conception, whether they knew it or not, we're trading them 
for the lives of everyone else who will be saved because they don't get killed by the White Walkers. I believe he's got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think you got it. <laughs> and see, this is a really fascinating, another kind of, and you know, I, th- I hate to depress everybody, but you know, we do this in real life, right? I mean, we trade lives mm-hmm. and we decide whose are more valuable and we trade them for those who we decide are less valuable. And this is a ongoing part of our social existence. And it has been, as far as we know, forever, right? And I think that, you know, it's always interesting to try to figure out, you know, is George talking about this? Is he writing these things on purpose? Or is he writing this because it's so baked into uh, human existence? I mean, like... That's that's how he connects with it. That's how he knows we'll connect with it, yeah. Like, we live in America, dude. Like, we've been trading lives, you know for at least a hundred years outside of the country and inside of the country, you know, there has always been a very distinct, you know, lines of who is more important and who's less, you know, we make these trades every day as a society. It's, uh, it's inescapable so far. Um, It's depressing as shit to think about, but it's true. So in the story, let's get back out of, that <laughs> before well, I don't I go know, down we're, 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 you brought us to the proper place because now we have to at least from my perspective we have to look at the fact that it did happen right I mean yes. Rhaegar and yeah. Lyanna did happen so there was just and something you brought up about the whole trading lives made me think you know uh, one of George's big meta themes is that magic comes at a cost you know and the magic Every to kill time. the White Walkers is going to come at the cost of all of these things happening, right? Um, but there are personal costs for characters that we love as well. And we're going to talk about that next. <laughs> and we're going to have to break this conversation up. This is the conclusion of part one of the John Problem discussion between myself and Mike. We will come back for part two at some later date here at Podcast Winterfell. Podcastwinterfell.com is where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. If you have any feedback for the podcast, you can tweet at WinterfellPod or you can send an email to podcastwinterfell at gmail.com. Also, don't forget that Podcast Winterfell is part of the DVR Podcast Network. You can find all of the shows that the DVR Podcast Network hosts at DVRPodcast.com. And more importantly, you can support the DVR Podcast Network's continued expansion by going and pledging to Patreon.com slash DVR. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. See you next time.